And now, the Husker Athletic Director Show with Bill Moose, presented by the Woodhouse Auto Family. Woodhouse Auto Family. Shop Woodhouse first. 18 brands, 18 locations, one team to help you get on the road faster. Woodhouse Auto Family, the official auto dealer of Nebraska athletics. And now, here's your host, Ben McLaughlin. Good evening, and welcome to another strange, but we hope productive Sports Nightly here tonight. Hopefully everybody is staying safe, taking the proper precautions with everything going around with the virus here again today. Sports Nightly will continue along as always and do so in a big way here this week as we happy welcome into the program now Nebraska Athletic Director Bill Moose. Bill, I I can only imagine what your life has been like this last few days and this last week. Let's just start first with how you're holding up with, with all this news. Well, I'm holding up uh, very well, and I, I think our staff is too. Uh, we've had, uh, uh, we're experiencing, of course, something that's new and frightening, uh, but uh, we're, are, we're being as cautious as we possibly can, and of course, uh, keeping the safety and, and well being and, and health of our student athletes and our staff uppermost in our minds. So, uh, as for me, I'm holding up real well and uh, uh, feeling good myself, washing my hands far more than I uh, used to. But, uh, hey, it's all working out so far. Well, that's great to hear. I know uh, this can be very confusing, uh, especially for decision makers. And, you know, you're in, sar- in charge of so many the departments and, and individuals and you know these decisions can't be made lightly let's just before we start diving into all the the details and intricacies with this let's just start first with kind of when this was on the radar and and the talks needed to start being had about uh, a response to this well um, as you know we uh, this has been talked about uh, and, and it seemed like it was a growing, more growing concern. Uh, we were actually in a Big Ten meeting uh, prior to uh, the first evening of the men's basketball tournament in Indianapolis. We'd scheduled that meeting to talk about uh, name, image, and likeness. And uh, because of uh, all of the concerns around the coronavirus, we we shifted to uh, that topic for uh, uh, most of that meeting. And as we were talking, um, more and more things uh, started to appear on the radar. And uh, uh, we started to get a little bit um, concerned about whether that Big Ten tournament should should proceed now that nothing had been canceled yet uh, and it was during the course of that meeting that uh, uh, the um, outbreak of a couple of NBA players and uh, before we knew it uh, some of the conferences were starting to consider canceling their tournament and here we were going to be uh, opening the doors uh, for uh, the the two games that we were going to be playing there in Indianapolis. So we decided to play those two. Uh, and uh, as we left, 
we were going to play the rest of those tournament games, uh, but with uh, uh, just select family, media, and and needed staff in the building. And obviously, as the as the evening went on, that all changed, uh, and it was a late night. Yeah, without question, and I, and I have to imagine just the amount of. Uh, conversations and and thought process happening with not just you but everybody associated with that situation well let's bring it to the present time currently what are you telling uh, your student athletes and your coaches and and kind of the the latest news that you can share with us well the uh, the leadership has been I think just exceptional and I'm talking about uh, uh, Kevin Warren the new commissioner of the Big Ten uh, and also uh, our president Ted Carter, and of course on our campus, our chancellor Ronnie Green. Uh, uh, this is uh, uh, pretty much a hundred percent of what we're focused on right now. And again, that that includes uh, looking out for our students, and in, in our case, our student athletes. We really uh, felt at the end of the week uh, within uh, athletics and talking to coaches and and staff that the best place for our student athletes to be would be here in Lincoln where we've got the medical uh, professionals uh, within the building we've got proper nutrition uh, we've got all the services that we need uh, academics and and uh, even psychological and and all of those things right here uh, we have not uh, had out breaks here in Lincoln um, as I understand still and there have been just a a handful even in the states. So uh, what what we wanted to do is not mandate but encourage our student athletes to stay put. Um, one of the things that can be a concern about our location, you know, in regards to recruiting and such, really uh, in, in this instance we felt was a real plus. And uh, yet we understand parents and uh, their, their uh, feelings of getting their sons and daughters home and all that but uh we felt this this was the best environment for them and then uh the the conference uh had had said well this is there will be no organized um uh activities athletic team activities uh and and so that kind of put some barriers there and and wisely so and uh so we had to, uh, day by day, and we've been meeting every day, uh, adjust as we go as to what the, the latest uh, word is uh, from health professionals and, and those uh, that are in the know across the country and really in the world. So uh, right now, I would say we have uh, probably half of our student athletes still here. Um, we are uh, feeding them. We're going to go to a... Uh, a takeout, grab and go. We've uh, been uh, cautious and and making sure that we are not in groups. Uh, if there are student athletes that want to work out um, and they're in a in a, a a sport that needs supervision and someone there because of uh, of the nature of it, gymnastics, be an example. We're going to allow that, but uh, no coaching, no f- watching film. Uh, no, no uh, organized team uh, practices or anything like that uh, until further notice. Talking with Bill Moose, Nebraska Athletic Director here on Sports Nightly. 
I'm Ben McLaughlin. And, Bill, I know, you know, speaking personally, Greg Sharp and myself, we were in a car on our way to Wichita when uh, the news broke that we should turn her around and, and head back to Lincoln uh, with all this. And, obviously, decisions need to be made rather quickly. With uh, I know our baseball boys were getting ready to load up the bus and, and head to Wichita. Uh, but what's the, what's the thought process of making these decisions, especially when quick action in this case was needed, um, you know, before before any type of playing on the field? Yeah, again, it comes back to the the health and, and safety and well-being of, of these young people. And also our staff, we uh, had a communication from the president on Sunday uh, that, uh, that allowed our staff to have uh, uh, hours, 80 hours of comp time uh, to be home, work from home if they feel they need to. We've got to remember that uh, we've got a lot of people that work here and we've got a huge workforce who have young children who... Um, are not going to school right now and who uh, may not be in daycares. So we want to certainly be sensitive to that. Uh, at the same time, our, our uh, university is running. Our athletic department is running. We've got decisions not only in this very important topic, but others uh, that have to do with uh, uh, financial pieces and, and all kinds of things that have to be addressed on a day-by-day basis. So... Um, we, we continue. I've always felt the most important thing is to make sure that we're communicating properly. We had three meetings today, one with a, a group that I put together uh, that really is brainstorming uh, in the various areas. Uh, it includes my senior staff and additional people uh, to say, you know, our, what should we do in training tables? Should we, uh, take some of the chairs out of there so these, these, uh, uh, student athletes can't congregate? And now we're most probably going to go to a, a, a strictly a, a grab and go and, and, uh, just try to keep them separated as much as we can. Those are the kind of decisions that we're making, uh, sometimes hourly. We, we made that one just an hour ago. Uh, and, and also, um, uh, what, what, there's so many other topics to be concerned about. What about our spring sport uh, student-athletes who had their seasons cut short? Uh, think about the seniors and others who um, may have exhausted eligibility. Uh, are they going to get that year back? And those are conversations we're having with the conference, uh, a big meeting on that tomorrow or a conference call. Uh, and... Uh, to, to again be uh, uh, in a caring mode about those those people who uh, uh, had their seasons cut short and and even the winter sport uh, student athletes who uh, were having exceptional seasons both team and individually that uh, weren't able to compete for uh, national championships and and all that wrestling would be a good example of that so uh, we. We want to make sure we're doing the right things. We wanted both short-term and long-term. I've given you an example of both of those, Ben. And and um, and day by day, these decisions are changing, and they're they're have huge impact. And and financially, um, hey, that's important. It's not more important than the health and welfare of these of these student athletes. But um, we start talking about lost revenue and. 
Uh, you know, you take a, a NC2A men's basketball tournament off the off the table. Uh, we're talking billions there, uh, and not to us, but to member institutions. So uh, it's an ongoing uh, process, and and uh, it changes daily. Bill, I know it can be really hard to narrow your focus on one particular issue right now with so many issues to cover, as we've talked about extensively here in the last 10 minutes or so. But one of the things that's probably going to come up in your meeting tomorrow is how many different avenues this eligibility relief will touch. You know, you've got a lot of spring student athletes in softball and baseball and other sports that, you know, already have opportunities lined up after graduation. Um, you know, managing the rosters, the limited scholarship uh, amounts in baseball. Uh, there are so many branched-off effects. How many? How much attention are you able to give these issues right now, knowing that there are so many things that you need to cover? Yeah, the, and that's a great question. So, the the first order of business was the the student athlete welfare, uh, and that'll be ongoing because that's that's uh, the top priority. Uh, tomorrow we will be visiting, as I mentioned, uh, as a conference uh, with our uh, compliance people, both uh, within our various 14 programs and also at the Big Ten uh, to have a discussion about the eligibility piece. And and you touched on it a minute ago there, Ben, and the, the piece that has to do with uh, uh, expanding the roster and giving giving these young people a, a chance to have a, a final season you know the the way that they deserve to have it there there will be a cost involved in that too because uh, we're going to have to uh, add uh, scholarships uh, probably just for one year but uh, and that's both head counts and equivalencies for our listeners that's uh, sports like football and and basketball and, and volleyball that everyone gets the same scholarship and then Others that you mentioned, like uh, uh, baseball and softball, that divide scholarships amongst the uh, the various members of the squad. Boy, we've got to really dig into this and get a feel for what the uh, financial piece of it's going to be as well. So th- that's the next conversation as we uh, still continue to keep the, the health piece uh, as our priority. Talking with Bill Moose, Nebraska Athletic Director here on Sports Nightly. I'm Ben McLaughlin. Bill, I've made a lot of people mad because we've been talking for 15 minutes, and the one question everybody wants to know about, fans, media, everybody listening, is about spring game and the spring football practice schedule. Can you shed any update or light on that situation with us? Yes. Well, we, um, first of all, within the conference and around the country, uh, spring football started in a different time. So, uh, we, out of 15 practices, we still have 13 left. We only only have practiced, practiced twice. And uh, when could we realistically hope to uh, regain those practices in a schedule somewhere? And that we don't know yet. Uh, I will say this, that uh, the spring game is is not going to be on the 18th of April and most probably will not occur at all. Uh, I hate to say that. Uh, we've got so many fans that that's their only opportunity to see the Huskers. But we've also been drawing close to 90,000 fans for a spring game. And that's far more than uh, uh, is being allowed or recommended by a variety of sources. So 
most most probably we will there won't be a spring football game on the 18th most probably not one at all um i think in a perfect world if we can get our arms around the the uh virus and and people can can uh, start to to uh feel comfortable uh in in our environment and where we're at maybe we could get those 13 practices back in june or so during summer school um hopefully that would be the case and and uh you know you look at some schools who uh in around the country that started spring ball uh spring football very early uh maybe down in the sec and they also went to a, a bowl game so they may have 30 more practices than a lot of other schools or 28 more than the university of nebraska and that's a uh, a heck of an advantage that we need to recoup somewhere. Um, and I say that because if they were in a bowl game, they're going to get 15. They're in spring football, they're going to get 15. There's a total of 30, of which we've now had two. Uh, so we've got to have that discussion, which uh, I believe will be included in our uh, talks early tomorrow morning, and uh, we'll get a better feel for what uh, my colleagues are thinking along uh, along those lines. Very well said. Nebraska Athletic Director Bill Moose with us here on Sports Nightly. Dorothy Lynch, homestyle dressing and condiment is the one-of-a-kind taste that goes with anything good for game day or any day. Dorothy Lynch, endless flavorabilities. Also, thank our friends at Woodhouse. Shop Woodhouse first. 18 brands, 18 locations. One team to help you get on the road faster. Woodhouse Auto Family, the official auto dealer of Nebraska Athletics. This is Nebraska Athletics Radio Hour here on Sports Nightly. We'll take a break. we got more from Athletic Director Bill Moose coming up. And back one final time with Nebraska Athletic Director Bill Moose. I'm Ben McLaughlin. Bill, would be remiss if we didn't finish by congratulating one of the most iconic Husker football players of all time for the highest honor you can receive in college, the National College Football Hall of Fame. Eric Crouch, have to be pretty proud to send another uh, former alum into uh, into one of that prestigious group. Well, we better hurry up and get our new football building built because we're running out of wall space for our uh, <laughs> Hall of Fame inductees and no one more deserving than Eric Crouch. Uh, a wonderful gentleman, a great player, um, and uh, a wonderful representative of the University of Nebraska to this day. And so, of course, he joins Johnny Rogers and Mike Rozier, uh, our other two Heisman Trophy winners. Uh, and I got to tell you, I've uh, served on the honors court that selects uh, these these players, and there's a stockpile of them, and there's a stockpile of Nebraska players that are eligible, and you need to be, have been a first-team All-American, first-team, not second, third, honorable mention, first-team, and we could put three or four in a year and still have a, a, a stockpile. That's that's what the tradition and legacy is of Nebraska football. So I'm so excited. I'll be in New York with my wife, Kendra, to see Eric get inducted um, next December. And uh, so deserving, so proud and happy for, for Eric Crouch. What a great player and a great guy. Yeah, it truly is just so cool to see that. And 
and obviously for him a much-deserved honor and for Nebraska a source of pride, no doubt. And I can only imagine the feeling you have to see one of our own get inducted into the Hall of Fame. Well, Bill, I know it's just been a – I don't even know. There's not a word for the week that you've had having to make the decisions. On behalf of all of us, we thank you for uh, for going to work and, and making these really tough decisions and, of course, the student-athletes and their, and their well-being. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time on very precious time right now, and we wish you nothing but the best of luck here in the short term. Look forward to talking again real soon. Thank you, Ben, and uh, great job yourself. It would be tough for Greg to get the mic back, but uh, go Big Red. Thanks, Bill. Have a great night. Thank you. Bill Moose, Nebraska Athletic Director, with us here on Sports Nightly. Coming up on the show in hour two, we'll talk with Jeremiah Searles, the former Husker, current member of a Husker Sports Network. A lot of news we got to get to as well regarding the National Football League and Husker basketball gets a commit. We'll break all that down. Although there's no sports happening, there's some news we need to get into here at the top of the hour. Thanks to Bill Moose. Thanks to Tim Curran. I'm Ben McLaughlin. We'll resume sports nightly after the top of the hour. Happy to welcome into the program now, newest roster addition to the Husker Sports Network, Mr. Jeremiah Searles. Jeremiah, we don't wear cool uniforms. We don't compete on Sundays. We're probably not the most physical or strong bunch, but uh, we hope we're still worth your your while, man. Uh, Officially, welcome to the team. Hey, I appreciate it, man. Uh, you guys, you're definitely a salty crew, man. I did my research, did my film study, and uh, <laughs> I, I feel like I joined a winning team. Well, this is a great time to have you on, man. I know you're making that transition from NFL player to broadcaster, and we're, as we said, very happy to, to have you with us. But um, very important weekend for the league as the the CBA wrapped up and all the voting that happened. Let's just start first, Jeremiah, with – um, the important things you need to look for as an NFL player when these talks come up. What what are some of the, the hotter issues for us, unfamiliar with how this stuff typically goes, that, that players need to look out for and, and have a meaningful vote on? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be the first one to tell you I'm not super thrilled with this new CBA that got signed. Um, as a former player, I voted no um, for this CBA, and there was such a small margin, 60 votes, but – The big things that were the talking points for this CBA was the minimum pay raise for guys on minimum salaries, which make about 65% of the league. Um, The THC testing for marijuana testing, the 17th game being added, and then the 48.5 revenue split. The things that I thought didn't get addressed, which is things that we were just talking about for the last five years, or the health care, long-term health care for you after you, live, after you leave the league. Another thing we talked about was far as benefits was health insurance. Like, what are we going to do as far as health insurance? What are we going to do for a 50-50 stadium split um, as far as splitting money that comes into the stadium? And for me, I feel like we left a lot of meat on the bone as far as when it came to some things that we were able to negotiate for. Um, as a players' union, and there's some argument that there's bad faith that the NFLPA wasn't necessarily negotiating for the NFL players, but if you look at it, the owners did a fantastic job of 
pushing a new CBA on players, getting them to them fast, voting on it before the players could really get together, and they got a new deal done. I'm not saying it's the worst deal in the world. I think it is good for the guys in the league to get pay increases, to get some other stuff. The 17-game thing will be interesting. But uh, I, overall, I think that there was some definite meat left on that bone. Yeah, looking at the uh, the new CBA, uh, do you think the the carrot of it was – to, to bump up the minimum salary that a guy would get uh, for the for the reward for the owners of getting that 17th game and getting two more teams in the playoffs, which means uh, or two more playoff games, which means four more teams playing playoff games, which is yet another extra game. Yeah, I mean the carrot was okay. How do we get the majority of these guys to sign this deal? And the easy answer was, okay, let's target the 65%, which are the guys on the minimum the minimum salaries. So if you're a guy in year one, two, and three, and you're reading the CBA going, wow, my minimum salary is going to go from 550k to 750 or 800k over the next two years, like, yeah, why wouldn't I sign that? Well, what they don't talk about is in the fine print, it's like, well, that 20% pay increase. That money's got to come from somewhere. And a lot of the stuff that it got taken out of was things like from permanent and total disability pay to retired guys. Or even there's part of the pension fund that then now is coming out of that 20% is going to find a home somewhere, either on the front end and on the back end. And when you're in years one, two, and three in the league, a lot of times you're so focused on let's just make the club. I don't really care about pension, vested, all of that. Like it kind of goes in here, one out the other that you're not really concerned about it. As you get in the eight and plus, you're looking at it like, okay, well, my body's taking a beating now, and okay, this money's good on the front end, but who's going to be there to help me with a health reimbursement account when it comes up when I'm 55 and need my second knee replacement? Or who's going to be there for me in my pension when I'm trying to figure out my 401K and all of that? And I just think it's very, very interesting that guys really didn't hammer home on some of these ideas and paid so much attention to the short-term gain versus what could potentially be the long-term gain for some of these players in 10 years, 15, 20 years down the road. Jeremiah, you kind of hit on it a little bit, but uh, talk with us in more detail what it's like to be on a roster and have these conversations from what we see on hard knocks and there's youtube channels of your favorite teams it's really you know the the full-time job of the national football league right you're working out you're you're doing individual drills you're working with your your individual coaches you're in the weight room then you're going on otas then you're going to training camp then of course you're in the season and then in the off season you're kind of unwinding and getting ready to do it all over again what types of conversations are had within a locker room at dinners i mean is this something that gets brought up quite a bit within team to team or is it truly vary from person to person and some 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 players don't even even care or think about it yeah, I mean, it, it's all of the above, man. I mean, it really is. There's guys that are older guys on the league that feel like it's their responsibility to educate the younger guys about these issues. And, I mean, you are invited as an NFL player. You are invited to the league meetings every single year with the NFL PA. They will pay for you to come down there and visit these meetings and understand what's going on in these discussions. But guys just look at it as like, well, I mean, I'm only going to be in the league for maybe three to five years. Like, why does this affect me? 
And it's a terrible mindset that I saw over and over and over again. I'll be honest with you. I had it my first couple of years in the league, being an undrafted guy, practice squad, having to claw your way onto your roster every single year that when you start talking about benefits and 401ks and pension plans and all of that, you're like, yeah, that sounds awesome. But uh, I don't really have time to focus on that right now, which in hindsight, it's like that should be on the front of your mind is, okay, how can once I get vested and I get my three years, how can I maximize the benefits that the, NC, that the NFL will then give to me at the end run? And that's get, that gets talked about more with the older crowd in the lunchrooms, in the locker room, on the travel bus trips. When you talk to your player reps, you talk to guys that have been player reps on other teams, and you can actually start to really inform yourself but until you actually read the CBA and you understand the language of the CBA, then it's hard to actually put a grasp around the amount of money that's actually being talked about. When you're talking about salary caps for 32 teams of $200 million. And it's just, I mean, it's unfathomable money to think about. And that's why we thought as a players union, like if we're going to strike and we're going to hold out, that really puts the pressure on the owners, which is why I was so surprised to see them come to a deal a, a year before the old CBA was actually going to be up when there was felt like there was so much more to be negotiated than just what was put out in front of us. Chatting with Jeremiah Searles here on Sports Nightly, and we're talking primarily about the new NFL collective bargaining agreement, which was agreed to this weekend. And I, I, one of the things that really caught my eye was the addition of a 17th game. And, and, you know, we know or we have some idea, I guess, of how physically taxing an NFL season can be just for 16 that count in the standings. To add a 17th game, even though the minimum salaries have been bumped up, uh, do you think there was enough of a reward just on that small piece of it uh, for for what the players are going to have to do to play one more regular season game that counts in the standings? I don't. I don't think that they incentivized it enough with the money. I mean, they're adding another playoff game as well, Nate. And so, I mean, you start talking about guys that are career playoff teams. I mean, you add one more game each to Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning, I mean, Jeff Saturday, you name these guys that were on these teams that make these playoff runs, you're talking about a whole nother season just in games and just by added games. And I feel like they didn't incentivize that enough with the money that they dangled out in front of these guys. I think that they saw the upfront cost, but they didn't really weigh out the cost benefit of taking away, A, the fourth preseason game, which is going to screw a ton of guys like myself that made their living off of going out in that fourth preseason game where no starters play. All the young guys go out there and get some tape for a chance. That's now gone for what? A 17th game? I just I didn't see the cost-benefit to it, even with the minimum salaries. Minimum salaries should go up even if it stayed at 16 games. I think that they kind of made this him and Hobb, like, well, we're adding this salary benefit, so we're going to add this second game. It's like, no, if you want to add this 17th game, you better make it really worth our while. And in my opinion, reading through it, they really didn't. Um, it's going to make the owners a ton more money and the stadium credits and all of that way more money than it will actually spill over into the players' pockets. Yeah, very interesting stuff. Jeremiah, what are the players' thoughts of the franchise tag and, and how that's used? 
I think it's it's very hit or miss with it. each player kind of individually has their own thoughts on it. I mean, I'm sure a guy like Kirk Cousins, who was franchise tagged, I think it was three years in a row, maybe two years in a row, I could see how that can start getting a little like, okay, I, I want the security. I've established myself. I've proven myself. I would like that long-term deal so that I can have the security of if I get hurt, then it's no big deal. Like, I can fall back and have that. But then I think of a guy like Anthony Harris for the Minnesota Vikings, who was an undrafted free agent, played incredible over his last two years, got franchise tagged today, and he's going to make $11 million. I mean, I think that it really varies on a case-by-case. I know players aren't huge fans of the franchise tag, but I know a lot of guys that are extremely happy when they do get franchise tagged because they're making a bunch of money. It gives them another one-year chance where if you go out and you play balls out again, then you're going to go get a chance to make even way more money the next year. So I think player tags and this, I got to read up a little bit more on what these new transition tags are. Um, for what they're putting on guys. I know there's some new rules. I saw a couple guys got transition tagged today. Um, I need to kind of read up and see what the the finer print on that stuff is. But overall, I think that the franchise tag system actually works fairly well as long as the team and the player can uh, agree in good faith to be working on a long-term deal. Um, because a lot of times you see the Le'Veon Bell situation where I'm sure Le'Veon's like, I want a long-term deal, and Pittsburgh's like, yeah, 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 we'll get there, we'll get there, we'll get there, and they just kept franchise tag, franchise tag. And I think that's when it gets ugly is when the player and the team aren't necessarily on the same page. Jeremiah, you've mentioned a couple of times that uh, the, the players, as they negotiated this deal, they, they benefited quite a bit up front in the short term you know the minimum player salary that you know for a guy who makes a team one year and and you feel like that's a pretty big percentage of the NFL how do you shift the mindset of the players from thinking about getting the money on the front end to taking care of themselves on the back end because the NFL of the four major professional sports, the NFL is the one, even though the careers on average are the shortest, the effects of the careers are on average the longest. That's a great question. I think that no one has a direct answer for that, including the PA, including the former players, because like you said, it is so short and it's, it comes back to the same question of why are 75% of the guys bankrupt when they get out of the league in two years. And I think a lot of it comes just overall lack of education. And the league is trying to fix that. The league is trying to educate young players more on the benefit piece at the end of your career and when the things come to it. But, again, you're so focused as a young player of just make the team. I mean, just get on the roster, just find a way to get on the roster and then get on the field and the rest will come, that it's almost by the time you've kind of almost settled yourself in the league, you're usually on your back half on your way out, and by then it might be too late for you to actually decide to dive into the players' rep meeting stuff and the business side of the NFL versus the playing side. If I was the NFLPA, I would have a borderline after your rookie year, they do the rookie symposium before your rookie year. I'm doing the rookie symposium after rookie year and going over all the benefits for those guys because at that point they have a year to understand what the NFL is and what the NFL looks like. And now you say, okay, going into second year, yes, you have to focus on football, but also focus on these other things that are off the field stuff that will then help you down the road. 
Jeremiah, before we cut you loose, got to talk to you about the bombshell in the NFL. DeAndre Hopkins, David Johnson, swap Houston and Arizona. DeAndre Hopkins, the best wide receiver in the NFL, according to to some and even most. What was your reaction when you saw this bombshell happen today? I text all my Houston buddies and said, ha, 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 you idiots. Because (laughs) I don't, I mean, I just don't understand it. What are you doing? Unless you are so desperate for cap space, first of all, DeAndre Hopkins is no doubt the best foot receiver in the NFL right now. I mean, it's not even close. Second of all, you trade for David Johnson, who is a downhill power runner in a downhill scheme with double teams and gap scheme core, I mean, gap scheme running back, and now you're going to say, hey, by the way, you're not going to run the read option in a spread offense. He doesn't fit. I'm going to tell you, like, right now, mark it. David Johnson does not fit in the Houston offense as, as, a, as a player, as the way that he plays. I'm very interested in that. But you can't go getting rid of the, the best receiver, man, with a quarterback that has the opportunity to be one of the better quarterbacks in this league. You just took away his number one go-to weapon when it's third down or when he's in a pinch, and he can just throw it up to a guy. And you're going to see Deshaun Watson really struggle for that. And, man, there's been some bombshells all over the league, which has been nice to actually have something to talk about and actually something to watch and look at sports-wise over the last week. No doubt, man. Jeremiah, we appreciate it. Um, what What do you do in your free time now? I mean, uh, is it video games, Netflix, reading a book, um, running the chasing the little man around the house? I mean, what What do you got going on? Yeah, so uh, I'm actually I, I'm training offensive linemen at junior high, high school, two days a week. Um, I do that uh, over here at Kratos doing that. Um, so it's a good way to give back, stay close to the game, and I, I love it. I think it's really fun. Um, and it's something to help, like, again, get back to the game that gave me so much. I am also chasing the little man around the house. He's crawling now. We had to start baby-proofing stuff, and he's trying to find new ways to kill himself, and you just got to constantly keep eyes on him. And then, uh, yeah, man, getting ready to hang out more with you guys, come down in studio, and be part of the Husker Sports Network family. Happy to have you, man. Jeremiah, thanks so much for shedding some light on uh, everything National Football League. Keep yourself sane during this time. I know the the wife and the kid will certainly help you do that. Thanks for jumping on with us tonight, man. Have a great rest of your night. Hey, absolutely, man. I appreciate it. Go be great, guys. Jeremiah Searles, the Nebraska, uh, former Nebraska and NFL offensive lineman with us here on Sports Nightly, newest member to the Husker Sports Network staff.